Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can come together to hear of your word. Uh, thank you for your grace and for choosing us and for sending us out. We pray that um, you would just help us to think very missionally in life about the Great Commission. And we pray that you would empower us by your spirit and comfort us by your spirit and give us grace. And we pray that uh, you would just bless the sermon. And amen. All right, so we are continuing last week's sermon called The Great Commission and Your Role in It. Last week we talked about The Great Commission. This week we're going to talk about your role in it. All right, so I'm going to do a really quick, and I mean quick, review of what we talked about last week. So um, we gave an overview of The Great Commission, how it's, um, it's to proclaim the gospel to all nations, but it's also to disciple the nations. Like, it should be changing the culture of all nations. Um, We also took a look at how it does indeed apply to all Christians. You are not exempt, period. No Christian is exempt from the Great Commission. How it plays out for each Christian might be different, but no Christian is exempt. Um, And that's good. You wouldn't want to be. It's too much fun. Uh, thirdly, we looked at seven tools that God gives us for the Great Commission. Uh, if I'm not going to list what they are. If you don't remember what they are, please go back and re-listen to it. This is very important. Uh, we took a, a brief look or a rushed look at the need for victorious eschatology. Um, and yeah, if you missed any of it, please go back and re-listen. So today we're going to talk about how practically the Great Commission applies to all believers. Because before we, you know, we looked at the fact that it does, but today we're gonna look at like how that would be fleshed out, because it's different. It's different for different people. And, um, but you need to know to the best of your ability how it applies to you. Some people are called to full-time ministry, definitely not everyone, but I, think, I have a list of like five things that at a bare minimum all Christians should do. And if I would bother to say if you're not doing these five things, you are neglecting the Great Commission, which means I neglect the Great Commission, or at least have been until recently. So don't, too, don't feel too bad about it, but we have to be real about it. God gives us grace. All right, number one, everyone should be reaching out to at least someone, to at least one person. And this is like just an idea that I have had recently. I think everyone should be reaching out to three people, give or take, about, in general. Or at least I think that would work well. So how I came to that, um, it's kind of just something that came to me personally, but I think it would work well for just about anyone so I had been struggling recently with like knowing that I don't really do much evangelistically or to um, advance the gospel. And, um, and I was kind of like wrestling with the question back and forth in my head. Like I know we all are commanded to pursue the Great Commission and I know it like 
some people have different roles than others, but like, what should we be doing to evangelize? Like, what standard should I have for like, whether or not I'm actually reaching out to people? Because otherwise, like, I would just go and evangelize maybe at Wright State, like once a year, and like, yeah, is once a year enough? Does that count? Probably not. <laughs> but um, I mean, the Bible doesn't give any specifics. So what I was wanting is list, and you know, you can't take it like hard, solid numbers as if it's from the Bible, because it's not, it's an idea. But something that um, I can use to know Am I pursuing this? Am I actually pursuing this? Or am I just telling myself I am? So, um, and then as I was like struggling with that and wrestling with that and praying about it, at one point I just came to the conclusion just at any point in life I should have three non-Christians who I'm reaching out to on a somewhere between on a week or month basis. Like, anyone has the time for that. Anyone has the time for that. And not only um, do we all have the time for that, but if, so we're a church of 70 people. If we were all reaching out to three people, we'd be reaching out to 210 people it wouldn't be like a big hindrance to your life to be reaching out to three people, but it'd make a big difference. And if, if we can't even reach out to three people on somewhere between once a week and once a month, then do we really care about practically sharing the gospel with other people? But just think about it. If we were, as a church, we're not a big church, but if we were reaching out to 210 people at any given moment, we would be making more progress in terms of growing in evangelism than we are now. So that's what I've been trying to do. Um, I would strongly recommend that you think and pray about that this week. Um, that you think about you know, is that reasonable? Could I do that? Would that make a difference? Would that be worth my time? And I think it would be, but I would recommend that you think and pray about who would be three people that I can reach out to on like somewhat of a reoccurring basis. Maybe a coworker, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, um, maybe someone you met on the street, but someone who you can contact or hang out with for an hour maybe somewhere between once a week and once a month. It doesn't have to be the same for each person. But if we just did that, we would be reaching out to 210 people on a consistent basis. And reaching out to someone like that in such a way where you can see them reoccurringly, in my experience when it comes to one-on-one -on -one evangelism, that tends to be more effective than just meeting someone on the street and you know, having a one conversation with them, a one-off conversation with them about the gospel. Because when you meet with someone reoccurringly or you get to see them again and later on and again, then they have time to think through and to wrestle with what God is telling them through you. And the person you met on the street in the Oregon district or at a university, they might think through it, but you'll, unless you're you should get their contact information, but if you didn't, you won't see them again, and you probably won't talk to them again.
And also it gives you a chance to work through them on what they're wrestling with that God is telling them through you. But I, I was happy that I got the idea about three people. It, it helped me have peace over an issue that was somewhat causing me to not have peace. It's simple and anyone can do it. The second way we should all be participating, all Christians should participate in the Great Commission, is through prayer. We looked at this last week, but I want to look at it again. Let's go to 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I believe the church should be, the church collective, not any individual in the church would be, and you know, you, couldn't, you wouldn't have enough time, but the church collective should be praying for the salvation of all people. Not just on a God save everyone basis, but more like a name by name basis. If a person is known by a member of the church, they should have someone praying for them for their salvation. If you just look at history and, um, and revivals and the spread of the gospel, prayer and fasting are a huge part of the spread of the gospel. I want to take a look at a few more verses where, from the epistles of Paul where he requests or commands that people pray for the spread of the gospel. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Colossians 4, uh, 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open for us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I might make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Second, Second Thessalonians 3, 1 through 2. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. So it's, it's clear in the scriptures, Paul and his writings, which are inspired by the Holy Spirit, expects us to pray for the advancement of the gospel. 
He doesn't say, please pray. He says, pray. And prayer does make a big difference in the advancement of the gospel. If you're not praying for the salvation of others or for the advancement of the gospel on at least once a week, if it doesn't just come up in your prayers in some way, at least once a week, I would say you're neglecting that aspect of the Great Commission. If we're not praying for the salvation of others or the spread of the gospel at least once a week, we're neglecting the Great Commission. All right, number three. Everyone should be looking for opportunities to spread the gospel and ready to use them. So one of the things I've noticed just in life, like talking to people, talking to other Christians, is God sovereignly orchestrates opportunities for us to share the gospel. Like in your life, in my life, I don't always see it, but God sovereignly orchestrates when you're in the supermarket, who you come into contact with, you know, walking down the street, uh, you get into a car accident, you know. God sovereignly orchestrates opportunities for us to share the gospel with people who he has been working in their hearts to open them up to it. We have to pay attention to them. They're easy to miss. And if we miss them, we definitely won't be taking advantage of them. God wants to do this for all Christians. Let's take a look at um, Acts 26, no, Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, 
and, his, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at uh, Azotus, and he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, just in general, in life, in the world, at any given time, there are people who God is drawing to himself. There are non-Christians. You know, we were all non-Christians and God was drawing us to himself. At any given moment, there are tons of people who God is sovereignly working in their lives to prepare their hearts to receive the gospel. That's what he was doing in the eunuch's life. He had been thinking about the scriptures, he was reading the scripture, and God sovereignly orchestrated this event so that he just happened to be reading that scripture, and then the Holy Spirit, or the angel of the Lord, said to Philip, go and rise, and like, God orchestrated this sovereign opportunity to happen. A big part of this is that God said something to Philip. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, God will often, when he sovereignly orchestrates opportunities for us to share the gospel with those who he's preparing to receive it, uh, a lot of the time he'll speak to us through the Holy Spirit. And we need to be ready and listening. God definitely does this in several people's lives. I think he does this in our lives and we just miss it most of the time. So how can you pre be prepared? Um, I only have three things on this. Number one, know that he wants to do this. Just know and believe that God wants to do this. Because if you know it, you'll be looking for it. Number two, be prepared to submit in obedience. God told Philip, um, go and rise... Um, down that road to the desert place. He didn't tell him why, he told him to. Philip may have had things to do that day. Philip may have, so like some of the things God will tell us in order to evangelize like this will be difficult or feel awkward or silly. And we have to be like surrendered to him beforehand. We have to be committed and pre-decided if God tells it to me, I'm going to do it. And number three, we have to seek to know the scriptures deeper. Don't get the sense of like, oh, I don't know the scriptures well enough, I'm not ready for this. Like, if the Holy Spirit's telling you something, or if God's given you an opportunity, then he, gave, then he made you ready enough to take the opportunity. But if you seek to know the scriptures better, you'll be more prepared for more opportunities. So that's my three things on how to be more prepared for opportunities for, for evangelism. Know that God wants to give you the opportunity. Be prepared to submit in obedience and seek to know the scriptures better. We should pray about this every day. Like, there are certain things that I pray as I'm driving to work every day. Every day on my way to work, I pray that God would fill me with the Holy Spirit. Because we need frequent refillings, we need daily refillings. Amen. And God tells us to pray and he will give us his spirit. 
I also pray that God would help me to be productive at work. But we should pray every day that God would make us aware to the opportunities that he has for us and that he would give us the strength and encouragement to obey him and take them. And we should pray that he would make his voice clear to us. I think we should even pray like, God, show me any opportunities that I may have missed and help me to not miss them next time. We do tend to miss a lot of opportunities. I'm convinced that we miss a lot of opportunities. And we miss them mostly because we're not looking for them. I was thinking about whether or not I would tell this story, but I guess I'll tell it just to give an example. Uh, So this weekend, I got sunburnt. I was with Caleb and Caleb's dad in Tennessee. And... uh, (laughs) (laughs) So Caleb's dad, he's a great guy, but um, I have to tell this story about him. And I did ask his permission if I could tell this, and half of you probably know what it is. But, um, so, you know, Larry, he used to go to, like, Kroger, someplace like that, and buy sports magazines. And, uh, the, yeah, the convenience store. And, um, and, um, and so there was, you know, one lady who would usually be working the checkout. And he would, you know, he'd always be like having joy of the spirit and be kind and be friendly because, um, you know, he had the fruit of the spirit. And, um, and like, this would, she would consistently notice this. And one day she asked him, why are you so happy all the time? Why are you so nice and friendly? Like, other people aren't friendly to me like this. And he says, hmm, I don't know. I guess I'm just a friendly kind of guy. <laughs> and then he walked out. Like, that was an opportunity for God, from God, for evangelism. He didn't see because he wasn't looking for it. The biggest hindrance to not seeing the opportunities is not looking for them. The second biggest is not hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. All right, number four. Um, We should all be giving and serving. So what I mean by that is um, there are God didn't call most people to full-time working for the gospel, but God did call people to full-time work for the gospel. And for those who have been called, for anyone who has ability to do so, we should seek to help them to better do that by serving and by giving. I want to read a few scriptures that kind of show this. So 1 Corinthians 9, 13 through 14. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. 
So those who are in full-time gospel ministry should be supported by others so that they can sustain that. Also, this is, this is not directly about that, but this shows the point. So Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 3. This is about when, they, when the uh, church in Acts appointed deacons for the first time. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So you have the ability to help those who are full-time given to sharing the gospel. One, they need someone to buy food for them or to somehow, they need food because they're not making money directly by sharing the gospel and they need to not have to work a nine to five for that food. So money helps, but they also have lawns that need mowed and chores that need done. And that stuff could be done by someone else to save them time. That is a way to contribute to the Great Commission. But you can't just check off your evangelism checkbox by doing this. And that's what a lot of Christians in America today want to do. I work my nine to five, I take my vacations, I raise my family, and I give to somebody else who spreads the gospel. This is just one of five ways that I believe all believers should be contributing to the Great Commission. This is one of five, and this does not check off the checkbox. But you should still be doing it. All right, number five. Be living and demonstrating uh, Christian community. So I've mentioned this before in other sermons, but and last week. Christian community is one of God's testaments to the world that like the gospel is real. Let's look at uh, two verses from John or two passages. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He doesn't say if you have love for the world, he says love for one another. So if we just see each other on Sunday and that's it, like they don't see love for one another. That is not a visible example of love for one another. I don't think anyone could ever be convinced that like, you love someone if you see them once a week, you sit next to them or six feet away from them for two hours, talk to them for five minutes and never see them again until next week for only five minutes. No sensible person should be convinced that that's love. I also wanna look at John 17, 20 through 23. Um, so this is Jesus in his high priestly prayer, the prayer that he prayed for the entire church uh, right before he was crucified. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, 
so that the world might believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus was convinced in his mind there is a relation, a strong correlation between the church living as a community, the church being unified and being one, and the world actually believing that Christ, that Jesus was sent by God. He was convinced of it. I think if he was convinced of it, we should be convinced of it. And this is something that the church in America does really bad at. Something we need to think about constantly how we can do better in. So that is um, the five principles that I had, five ways that I believe all believers are called to be involved in the Great Commission in. If all believers did these five things, it would make such a difference. The state of the world would be different, like noticeably different. And there are, there are some other ways that not necessarily everyone is called uh, to evangelize in, but that you might be, such as like street preaching, should consider whether or not that's for you. Um, but it is a biblical thing that the church should have people who are doing. And cold call evangelism, just going down to a university or a public place and talking to strangers about the gospel, which I, I think everyone should do, just because it's good experience. Like, I've gone out with several people and done that, and if nothing else, everyone who I went with got good experience from it. A lot of people who do that learn to hear God's voice better through it. And the biggest difference of whether or not um, you're successful evangelistically, other than just being filled with the Spirit, is whether or not you hear from the Spirit when you're talking to people. So I'm going to give you a minute to write down these five things. And after you write them down, I want you to think about, am I reaching out to people? Am I neglecting any of these? Are there any of these I should or could be doing more? And please take the time to think about it.
All right. Um, I also have, for the next thing we're going to look at, uh, five hindrances that tend to hinder us from um, being involved like we should be in the Great Commission. Number one, uh, busyness and neglect. So, like, it's really, really easy to just get so busy you entirely forget about it. I can't tell you how easy it is. If you don't think it's easy, you probably don't think about it. We all struggle with, like, you know, making things a priority in our schedule. But, you know, the way to overcome being too busy and just forgetting about it and neglecting it is to be intentional about it. You have to, if you don't plan your schedule out ahead of time, you're just not going to be as an effective individual as you could be, I guarantee it. And you're not going to get done what you want to get done in life. You need to set out, so this is how I've started doing it. Like if I don't set aside time for the three people that I have to think about what's the next step in reaching out to them, I, I don't think about it and I'll forget to reach out to them. Like, assuredly, it always happens. Like, I, I set aside an hour a week to just think about and to pray, God, what should I do reaching out to this person? What should I try to say to them? Should I invite them out to a restaurant? Like, you know, what's the next step here? You need to be intentional. You need to plan it into your schedule. And if you don't plan it into your schedule, you can almost guarantee you're going to forget it. And we need to pray that God would help us make the gospel more of a priority. If you struggle with it, pray that God would cause you to make the gospel more of a priority. All right. These five hindrances are in no particular order, by the way. The next big struggle, probably the biggest struggle, fear of what other people think. Unfortunately, not only does this hinder us from like sharing the gospel at all a lot of times, but even when we are sharing the gospel, a lot of times we let this affect what we will and won't say to people. We, you need to learn to see your worth as secure. Fear of what other people think, I believe, always comes down to the idea that if they think lowly of me, it's proof that I don't have worth or I have diminished worth as a person. It's what it comes down to. You need to be utterly convinced that in God, your worth cannot be changed. Your worth cannot be changed before God because your worth in God's eyes is it's something he does for you, really. Like, God, if you're a Christian, God is sanctifying you, and God has guaranteed he will succeed at that. He will make you perfectly pleasing to him. You will be eternally pleasing to God if you're a Christian because he's going to fully sanctify you. And anything that could possibly be unpleasing to him about you, he will change, he will perfect you. And he knows he will, he's not worried about it. Your worth cannot be screwed up. You can't mess it up. 
if you go out and you do terrible evangelism, it can't change your worth before God. It can't even change your worth like in how it relates to people. Your ability to help others is not changed by the mistakes you make. Your ability to contribute to the lives of others is not at all ruined by mistakes you make or embarrassing things you do. It can't be taken away because it was given to you by God. And he's perfecting it. That should cause us, and we should look to that to overcome our fear of what other people think. But sometimes we struggle with it anyways, and we need to be like committed enough to the spread of the gospel that we're willing to talk to people even when we're really scared about doing so. That's the only way I ever went out evangelizing. I just had to do it even though I was really, really scared. The next hindrance we tend to have, thinking it's not my job. So I've got a simple solution for this. Understand that it is your job. I love this verse. We probably look at it every sermon that I do anymore. But let's look at it again. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of the Christ. It doesn't say he gave the evangelists to evangelize so that the rest of the body doesn't have to. It says he gave the evangelists to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It is your job. The next hindrance we tend to have, missing opportunities or not seeing opportunities. Kind of already talked about this one. We need to be looking for opportunities or else we're just not going to see them. Like Caleb's dad in the, the convenience store. We need to be looking for them and praying about it. Praying that God would create them and praying that God would show us and that we would hear clearly from his spirit. The last hindrance that we tend to have is thinking, I'm not ready. I'm not ready because my character isn't good enough. I'm not ready because I don't know God's word well enough. But the problem is we think this indefinitely. Because there's always more room to grow. And we tend to just indefinitely think, well, I'll be more ready next week. Well, you will, but you need to do it today anyway. If you just wait till you're ready, you'll never, ever do it, ever. And actually doing something makes you more ready. Because practice and experience do make people better at evangelizing. You want to know who was a good evangelist? The woman at the well. And she didn't wait till she was ready. Let's look at John 4, 39 through 41. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when 
the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. It seems like she went out immediately. She didn't even bother to make things right with her live-in boyfriend. So she really wasn't ready by like those standards. She just went out and told people. And like half the town came to Christ. So don't think, oh, I'm not ready. You're never going to be as ready as you could be, and God doesn't care about that. The last point I wanted to make is we need to be more evangelistic as a culture, as a church culture. We need a more evangelistic church culture. So I'm trying to do better with like actually evangelizing and being a part of the Great Commission, but it's still something I'm growing in. It's something I didn't think enough about until recently. But, um, but we as a church don't do that good at this. I don't think we do that good at it. And if we really want to pursue a vision of being a biblical church, we have to change this. Like if we don't evangelize, we're not a biblical church, point blank. That's not possible can't be a biblical church and not evangelize. So there's those two things that, that I think we need to do, that I wish we would do, that I urge us to do, to have a more evangelistic culture. A, all of us, if you're a Christian and you claim to be committed to Christ, you should be seeking to do this. You don't need to be perfectly seeking because we, you know, no one perfectly succeeds at what they set out to do. But, um, but we should all be seeking to do the five things that I mentioned earlier, the five ways we should all participate in the Great Commission. We should all be doing that. And number two is we need to think about life, our daily lives, from an outreach perspective. You should be thinking about how can I incorporate reaching out to others in my everyday life? This kind of goes hand in hand with like seeing the opportunities from God thing. You could, as part of your everyday life, reach out to others. Like you have, you know, things you do on the weekend as part of your day, you could invite others to. You could even do it in such a way that doesn't inconvenience you if you've thought about it. If you like had the mindset, if you looked at life through the perspective of how can I reach out to others, you could do it without even inconveniencing you. And it's totally worth inconveniencing yourself over. All right, in conclusion, um, we all need to imply this. Everyone can do these five things. We have no excuse. God gives us grace. Don't feel too bad if you don't, you know. It's serious, but it's not the end of the world. Nothing can ruin your ability, your worth before God. But we do need to deal with it. We need to work on this. You need to think about this this week, throughout your week. And so just as the last point and for part of a conclusion, um, let's just take a minute um, 
I want everyone who's taking notes, pull out your phone, pull out a pen and paper, just write down three things that you could start doing at this point in life to be pursuing evangelism better, to be pursuing the Great Commission better. We're gonna take a minute, I want everyone to write down three things. Um, just write down three things that you think you could be doing practically to be pursuing evangelism better. You know, pray about it, think about it, write down three things. Uh, I want you to continue to think about this throughout the week and to pray about this and to pray that you know God would help you, God would empower you, God would give you grace, and God would continue to show you what you can do and what we can do uh, to do better. Also, um, I was thinking this would be a two-part series. I had like, next week, I think I'm going to do a collaboration with Stephen. Me and Stephen are still fleshing out the details, but... Um, I wanted to talk about like how to actually evangelize well or how to grow in it when evangelizing to people, but I did not have time, and I think I'm going to do that with Stephen next week, so look forward to that. All right, let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you so much for your grace and that you perfect us and love us and that nothing can take away our worth before you ever. No matter how bad we screw up or waste our lives, nothing can take away the worth of your children before you. Lord, we pray that you would give us your heart for non-believers, your heart for the world. We pray that you would pour out the love of your spirit into us and it would just pour out of us. We pray that it would consume us, Lord. We pray that we wouldn't be able to stop thinking about it. We pray that it would keep us up at night. We pray that you would reach out to people through us and that when we reach out to others, people would hear you and sense you and know you and know your love, Lord. We pray that they would know you through us. We pray that you would make us good vessels, obedient vessels, and that you would glorify yourself through us as a church. We thank you for your grace and amen.